Hey everyone, welcome to the Finding Strong Podcast. We are the show dedicated to helping others find the strongest version of themselves. The hosts, Pat, Michael, and I are on a mission to bring out the best versions of ourselves, and our ultimate goal is to motivate, educate, and inspire others along the way. Each week, we'll have different experts or athletes on the show, and we'll touch on a wide variety of topics, including health, performance, and mentality. So whether you're on a commute, on a run, in a workout, or just hanging out, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Stay strong, everyone. Hey everyone, welcome to the Finding Strong Podcast. I'm your host, Pat Gates, sitting here with Mark Bottenhorn. Hello. And Michael Benvenuto, back on the pod. Hey guys, how's it going? Glad to be back. So how's yeah. everyone's uh, week been? Uh, started out with a bang. I've had a lot of activity at work this week and last week. Um, you know, dealing with some, uh, some of the guys working underneath me, not performing up to par. So I had to crack some whips last week, um, but settling into this week and looking forward to Thanksgiving. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I, same thing, man. Everything was going fine for my week and then it just went real hectic at work and I had to make an emergency trip to Tulsa. So it's funny because we were, we were talking about like squeezing this podcast in, and, and Michael was like, well, I have a layover in Houston. And I was like, well, I'll be, I'll be getting in Tulsa that time. We have a 46 minute window where we can get this done. And yeah. I think, yeah. I think we are better off just, uh, just pushing it, pushing it back to now. So this is, this is good, but the hectic stuff yeah. is behind me and I'm also looking forward to Thanksgiving. Yeah, we were, we were hoping to be in Dallas together last week. I, I was supposed to be there. Uh, you ended up having to go to Tulsa. I ended up having to detour and go to, uh, Norfolk, Virginia for a meeting. So, uh, yeah, we were, we were globetrotting a lot of mogul movements this week for uh, team Botnard. Yeah. I think it's funny. Cause like we were both supposed to be in Dallas and neither of us were in Dallas. So, <laughs> but Pat, you were in Detroit though. And that's all that matters. Yeah. I'm in Detroit <laughs> had a pretty busy week with work too. And, uh, but I still try to get some, some training in get some more miles in get this ankle back up to par before I come to uh, Dallas. Yeah. You, uh, you won an award, right? I did. I did. I won a big award through work. Yeah. So I don't know if you guys remember, but we were talking about this award uh, that Pat was nominated for, uh, for his outstanding performances in the workplace. And he won the award. Yeah. Mm. Ended up winning. Uh, got, got like a giant Oscar. It's like a five pound, like Oscar looking uh, trophy thing. Uh, it's pretty cool. Put place it on my place uh, on my on my desk at work. You know, like let people know. Like, if you want to come talk to a to a real player, come over and holler. <laughs> That's awesome, man! Congratulations. Can we get like a Thank cool you. sound effect uh, on the podcast? Like a giant round of applause. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. Know. I'm not that good at uh, auto engineering. So, <laughs> did you give a speech? No, no speech. Just went up and uh, shook some people's hands, waved at the crowd. You know, gave a nod and. Got up off that stage because there was like fifteen thousand people there. <laughs> Whoa! Yeah! Wow! Oh, nice work, man! Congrats! Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Congrats! So today we're talking about uh, weight training for runners. This is the most common topic that we get asked about, so it's finally time to do the episode, and we chose episode number twenty-five to do it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we're. Uh, 
also going to have some like misinformation on training. So, so it's like some stuff like that. Yeah. A little bit, a little bit of recovery. Yeah, definitely. The important stuff, the important stuff, but first, but first, before we get into this, let's, let's talk about the game changers a little bit. Pat, did you see that documentary? I did. I did see the game changers documentary. What'd you think? Um, I thought, I thought it had uh, some good information in there. Um, mainly just kind of like leading a healthier lifestyle, if anything. Um, Cause there was like a lot of like biases, I think towards stuff. And I don't know like how accurate a lot of the, the data is say data or data or whatever. But, um, I think there was like a lot of like data that was maybe cherry picked. I don't know. I haven't gone too much into it. I've heard other people kind of, um, dispelling the myths of, of the game changers, uh, documentary, uh, from like Lane Norton and like some other people too. So, Ben Greenfield. Yeah, it's just like it's just so much information to try to sift through and try to find out like what's happening because there's so many biases on each side. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I thought that it was very entertaining, um, but I think that again, I think that it did uh, kind of cherry pick a lot of the science there, and uh, Ben Greenfield didn't like the science there. But this is also a guy that puts light bulbs up his butt. So we're going to take that with a, with a grain of salt. This is a man that stands barefoot in the soil to ground the electrons. So science isn't, you know, necessarily prominent in, in a lot of these figures, uh, uh, material. Um, but yeah, I just thought that, I think that being a vegan athlete is challenging. Um, and I don't think, I think it's, we can, we can all do it. It's just a matter of, should we do it? Um, but by and large, I think like you see it all the time. Um, the human body can adapt to a lot of things. It can upregulate or downregulate enzymes and enzymes and things like that to uh, to prioritize digestion of certain, you know, micronutrients and macronutrients. So I think that um, doing anything in extremes is not optimal for planning, convenience, or probably health in the long term. Yeah, I definitely agree. I definitely agree with that. It's just um, especially like. I know you two travel a, a bunch for, for work and everything and to kind of like be in an airport or be on like on a road trip and like try to <laughs> adhere to like a specific certain diet. It's just sometimes it's not probable. You gotta just, you mean, obviously we do the best we can, but just being so strict in like this vegan diet or I'm doing this diet or whatever. Yeah, it's it's extremely challenging, and I I didn't see the documentary, guys, but um, you know, you you both gave me kind of a quick recap before we got on the pod, and you know, anytime somebody's trying to prove a point, you can sort of use numbers and data to prove anything um, and to show out anything, but it's the longevity um, and reality of any study that'll that'll prove out if it's if it's real or not, because. You know, saying, uh, you know, Mark, I, I saw you were kind of commenting on Instagram. Uh, I don't know if it was Instagram or Facebook. Where we were talking about vegan athletes and how Cam Newton got hurt because he's vegan and it, and saying that uh, it's not uh, a good application of a vegan diet in the NFL. And it's like, well, you know, really, what is what, what is the real story here? Um, is it that Cam Newton got hurt because he's vegan or Cam Newton got hurt because he's a quarterback in the NFL? And that's a highly risky uh, occupation to be in where 
people get hurt every year. So it, did his injury have something to do with being vegan or did it have the fact that he's an NFL quarterback uh, who's, who gets hit all the time? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think so in that, that was a Ben Greenfield shared that article and he posts so much pseudoscience. So I, one of my life missions is just to let him know every time he posts pseudoscience and it just happens to be every post. Um, so yeah, I mean, I could Matthew Stafford, uh, my beloved Lions quarterback, is injured right now, and he's not a vegan. So I could have wrote the same article and said, "Well, there's a, there's a, there are a lot more um, omnivore athletes in the NFL that are on the injured reserve than there are vegans. So therefore, uh, omnivores get injured at a higher rate. But that's not actually true either. Um, the likelihood is that no, it had nothing to do with the diet, and it had a lot more to do with the fact that people are smashing into each other at full speed um, and doing something yeah. at the highest level. Yeah." It's a hot take. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's common sense. But yeah, sure. Uh, you know, you people will try to spin it any way they want. That's the thing about, about data. You can manipulate the numbers and the results is in any way you want. So that's the that's the problem. But uh, anyway, Pat, you ready to get into this uh, episode? Episode 25? Michael? Let's you guys do ready? it. Let's do it. Let's, Let's get into go. It. All right. So it's, uh, what's, what's kind of the, the background on uh, some of these, like, these training terms? Yeah, so uh, I mean, some of the, I, like some of the terms that are commonly used, like we're, like hypertrophy is one. So we're talking about like the act of in, in this in this specific case, we're talking about the act of uh, increasing the muscle volume. Um, so you'll hear me say that a lot. Like uh, you, you're not, you know, you're not necessarily training for that when you're when you're in these programs, like this isn't this really high rep type of stuff. Uh, so we talk about that a lot. So that, that's probably the biggest one I'd say. I don't know. You have any other terms or anything um, like that? No, nothing like, nothing like specific, specific. Um, yeah. Yeah. Kind of like, like suit, like supersetting, supersetting workouts. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how into detail we get with that, but obviously like if you, if you're supersetting a workout, you're going from uh, one, type of workout to the to the next without any rest in between um you know kind of pushing those together i suppose right, uh, I, don't, like, I don't know yeah go ahead like how how uh like how how like how important is like something like that where it's like very fast uh, how does that relate to like runners it's on the application so everything has an application and you can't put runners into a bucket and say they should train this way for the ideal situation because we become into terms like you know periodization and things like that where training needs to be slightly different right so it's hard to say there's a one-size-fits-all uh for for any demographic and putting runners or even as a broader term endurance athletes into into any kind of uh bucket for weight training is would be the opposite of what we're trying to do gotcha so kind of like uh, going off that, like what is like common like misinformation on, on different trainings? Yeah. So I think, uh, I think one of the biggest things is for me, and I don't know what you guys think, but like, I, I think we were talking about on one of the last episodes and uh, when, when athletes come to me with a, with a prior like weight training plan that, that one of their coaches or quote unquote coaches uh, gave them, it's, it, it tends to be, um, I don't know. It, it tends to be like, you should do 20 to 25 reps of this because that trains slow twitch muscle fibers. Um, and, and I had asked them like, why is that beneficial? And they, they don't usually have an answer. They say, well, it helps me lose weight or any of this, but, but how does it help you lose weight? It doesn't help you lose weight. It's not actually beneficial for what you're trying to do. So I think that's the biggest thing that like endurance athletes should be doing high, you know, high, high reps, low weight. That is, that couldn't be further from the truth, you know? Right. 
So like uh, instead of like doing like reps, do what do you think about like like timed workouts? So like oh, do you do like sixty seconds on the battle ropes or like sixty second kettlebells or thirty second kettlebells or whatever? So I mean, I think timing it is another just another way to break up the same thing, but really like reps and reps are effectively arbitrary um just like i would argue that mileage is arbitrary really what you're looking at especially when you're weight training is time under tension like the amount of time that the specific muscle group is under a load or under tension um so by doing it if you do 12 reps in 30 seconds or you do 30 seconds worth of work you're still 30 seconds in time under tension again i don't that's that's another way to quantify it but i don't think it necessarily is better or worse than than, than doing things uh, in, in, in the rep ranges, per gotcha. se. Gotcha. And how, I mean, Mark, realistically, how much can the uh, weekend warrior type runner, I mean, I, I, I kind of throw myself into that category right now. You know, I'm not training for anything. Um, you know, I'm not on a specific schedule. But when you talk about consistency in doing these workouts, to me, that plays a much larger part than like, okay, if I got to the gym once or twice a week right now while I'm not in training and I'm, I'm just throwing weight around, there's a big difference between consistency in training when you're doing these type of cycles. Wouldn't, would you agree Yeah, with that? I think whether you're running or whether you're trying to uh, be a bodybuilder or a power lifter or, or whatever it may be, I think consistency over time is the formula that's going to get you uh, the, the success that you want. And I think that also just going in the gym two times a week and throwing weight around, uh, while it might initially, that stimulus, which is different than people have normally had, while that might actually uh, trigger a response at first, eventually it's not going to be very effective. I think that every single person uh, should go into the weight room when they go to work out with a purpose. Um, and I don't mean like put your headphones on and don't talk to anybody and be in there with a mission. I mean like like you should have every workout should have a purpose and in, in the reason that it's structured the way it is to, to maximize the effect. Yeah. And I, and I think too many times, you know, we, we look at these, uh, you know, you'll see something online or you'll read it in a magazine or in a book where it talks about specific workout types. Um, and you think like, Oh, okay, this is a, this is a workaround or like a, um, something to help me get results faster where in reality, it's like we're talking about consistency over the long run is what yields results. You know, doing these little tips and tricks, you know, just once isn't going to yield any great result. And I think too many people think these kind of tips are shortcuts. Um, and that's not what these are. No, no, no. Yeah, I, th I don't think um, it's not like, I, you know, I see it all the time. Like you can lower your total weekly volume and just increase intensity and get the same results. But like you can't, though. So, I mean, if, if that were the case, then why would, why would Mo Farah, for example, run 140 or 130 miles a week when he could just uh, run hard three days a week and do some really hard weight training sessions? You know, why would, he spend, why would he spend 30 hours training a week when he could do the same thing in 15 with more intensity? And it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way. So, so, no, I think the weight training is made to be, if you're, if you're an aerobic-focused athlete, um, and I say that in a very general term because living itself is, is aerobic so i don't want to get too much into that um but i will say that if you're kind of an aerobic endurance fo focused athlete that weight training can be a really complementary uh tool in your kind of toolkit to to make you a better runner to make you a more effective runner to make you all around healthier um so that's what it's for it's not a shortcut or it's not in place of it 
Yeah, and I think um, what kind of what I do kind of is like I going in with a purpose. I always have like like something planned before I get to the gym. Like whether it's like a, I have something on my on on one of the apps that I have with like that workout of the day, or if I'm just like following a regular workout cycle in general. Uh, going there, like I I know like what I gotta hit. I know what I do because sometimes like. There's times, there's times I've been in there like where I didn't do that. I'm just like, oh, what the fuck do I do now? Oh, do I want to do dips today? Do I want to do this? And just like there's just so unorganized and you just feel left unmotivated. So to me, just as how it works is going in there with like something in mind and having some organization to like what you're going to accomplish that for that for that day. Yeah, but I mean, you also need to look and not to put you on the spot, but you need to look at why why you're in the weight room to begin with or why you're, why you're training to begin with. So, right. um, like, you know, a common reason people might go to train is maybe, is maybe to work on lower leg stability. Um, maybe to look, to look at generating more power, uh, to maintain critical velocity and run really fast at sub threshold paces. Um, right. so like you, to, to know why you're going in there and doing it, uh, to be educated in that sense, whether you have a coach or whether, whether you're trying to do it yourself, it will go a long way towards that consistency of reaching your goals. Um, oh, if oh you... for sure. And over the last, like, you know, 17 weeks, my purpose has been going in there and getting healthier with, uh, with my ankle and healthier, like, mentally, just because every time I go to the gym, I definitely feel better afterwards. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And I mean, um, and if we're looking, if we're looking like specific for, for runners that I coach, like we can go back to, to Michael, for example, uh, when he, when he came to me, he was working with a, like almost like a bodybuilding type split, like really, uh, hypertrophy focused, <laughs> um, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I, I mean, I had previous, all my weight training experience. I mean, I played a lot of like high level basketball and I never really lifted much. Um, and where I got my lifting education was from the guy who was the most jacked Italian dude in my YMCA in New Jersey. Uh, that was the first guy that I used to lift with. And we did, I just did whatever routine he was doing, which was like you were talking about, we used to do like high reps, low weight. And then two weeks later we would switch to high weight, low reps. And he said that made sense. And then the second guy I started lifting with was, a. Um, a former U.S. bobsled uh, athlete uh, who trained with the Olympic team. So I just did whatever routine he used to do with the U.S. bobsled team. So that was the extent of my weight training experience before we met. Yeah, and, and you know what? His maybe doing doing like a higher rep range stuff, uh, one, you know, one for three weeks and maybe the next three weeks doing lower rep range stuff, it does actually – makes sense for what he's trying to do it just doesn't make sense for improving performance as a runner um in particular oh, yeah for um, sure. so i think you know normally i think the a, a really big question that i get is is how should a how should a workout be structured and you know a, a workout should be structured and geared primarily towards um building explosive strength uh, first, second, working stability and functional fitness. And then third, there actually should be an, some kind of element of like, you know, some kind of hypertrophic or, or, or muscle building element of it. Um, but that should be at the end of it. Uh, so, you know, typically any, any given workout maybe should look like this. Like say, say you're in season and you're competing, um, in whatever it is, like your, your workout should be, um, working on maybe let's say you're doing just you know, kind of compound movements. So you're doing maybe deadlifts and squats that day. Um, 
so it'd be it'd be deadlifts and squats with with higher rest and and lower reps and higher weight um, with explosive movements uh, and then maybe box jumps um, and then maybe like pistol squats or something like that and then you'd let the athlete maybe finish it off with some some hypertrophy focus workout so maybe like that might be a good time to put in like the lateral raises the curls the rows um, you know things like that uh, because it's important to maintain you know, kind of, it's important to maintain lean body mass, especially throughout the season as like, it would be breaking down as your mileage is, is getting higher as intensity is getting higher, uh, to have that lean body mass, like somebody who's running, let's say 65 miles a week it, in most times is going to have uh, trouble putting on excessive muscle. Uh, it's really going to be maintaining the muscle that they have and not losing it because throughout the course of a running season or a racing season, you can lose a lot of muscle, um, and not have enough to generate the power you need. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Here's a, here's a question. Like I always kind of struggled with this. Um, you know, you show up to the gym, uh, or, you know, you want to get a lift in and you need to get a run in. Um, what's the best order to do that? You know, I've, I've read to lift first and then go for a run or run first and then lift. What, what's the best way to maximize? Yeah. So I don't, there's, there's not much science either way on it. It depends on the type of run too. Um, so, so typically, I mean, let's say if you're doing two speed sessions a week, right, you would ideally, you would do your speed session and then you would go into your lift on that speed session day, uh, because you do, you, you would do your lift after you obviously would want to do it before you do like a tempo run or track repeats. Um, and then you'd have the next few days to, to recover with easy runs and you'd keep the easy runs easy and not compromise your recovery. Uh, so I, I always think it's better though, like you know, there are times when I'm building up base mileage and I'm working out five times a week. Um, and I think it's really truthfully for me, it's better to work out or better to run in the morning and work out at night. And that's just what I prefer, but I don't have any, any science to back that up. Right. And then that kind of just goes into like listening to your body too. Like you've, you've learned that running in the morning works for you and, uh, working out at night, but I, I prefer to like work out in the morning and then like run at night, you know, cause I feel like, I'm like more energized. I feel I can get more out of it uh, after work. Yeah. Yeah. That's very true. And I, I've coached, coached, uh, you know, Chris Schaefer for a long time and he's this like jacked runner. Um, and he, uh, <laughs> he prefers, he works out, he's at the gym every day at 4am doing like your typical bodybuilder split. And then he runs at night and it works for him. It would never work for me. Like, you know why? And I, part of it is because I truly enjoy working out a lot and I, and I, I would rather, get the run over so it's not looming over me and so i'm not concerned about the food that i intake and things like that right 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 right. so but no that's a that's a good question i honestly i think for long-term um gains and improvement it doesn't really matter i just think that obviously on your on your speed sessions you probably wouldn't want to do heavy leg stuff the the morning of you know you'll leave you with some kind of dead legs you'd rather you want to prioritize that because you're 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 trying to gain speed. You're trying to um, do those things. So like, you don't want to be to go do a 20 minute tempo run for set, for example, and you're, and you're way down from heavy legs from doing deadlifts in the morning. I'd switch those around. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned this earlier, that kind of ties, ties in like, what's like the timing periodization for that, for all that. Yeah, I think that's like, so a really big thing I get asked by um, all of, all of my athletes, people who aren't my athletes, this is the most common question I get. And it's, like, how do you train legs? Because my legs just feel dead throughout the week. Like, what's the right timing to put those in? And, 
you know, if you look at professional uh, strength and conditioning coaches and everything like that, if you look at NBA play, like, like Michael, this will probably excite you. But if you look at like the way the NBA players are even going right now, like they'll they'll have a game. They're playing what two or three times a week, and and they'll have a game. And so once that game is over, they're immediately in the weight room lifting following the game because it doesn't hinder any mm-hmm. recovery moving forward. And they have the two days of just light practice before the next game. And that's kind of where they're going with everything. So, so you'll see even in the preseason, like, like James Harden, for example, will leave. He'll, he'll just walk. He'll just leave in the fourth quarter when he knows he's not playing and he'll be in the back actually in the weight room. So that's a really common practice now. So, um, Typically, you you don't want to do it on your easy days. You always want to keep the easy days easy. So if you work, so if you're prescribed to work out two times a week, you'd probably make it on those two speed sessions, um, or after a long run if you if you want. But I wouldn't compromise the recovery in the days following those hard sessions. If that so, makes sense. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it, at what point? I mean, when you're training for a race, you know, you've got your taper where you know. Um, use that phrase a lot where it's like the money's already in the bank, the hay's in the barn. Um, at what point does strength training work against you when preparing for well, yeah. a race? Like what, when, when, when have your muscles taken everything they can and it's time to focus on recovery or just focus on the mileage? Well, it depends on what time of the season it is too. Cause if it's not like an A race, you might work up leading right up to the race it might work out. Um, but it's important to to realize that a lot of this comes into like cumulative fatigue, right? So we're continuously being able to race on heavy legs and, and perform on heavy legs is important. So it's good in that sense, but you don't want to race with cumulative fatigue. So usually as a general rule, I don't let my athletes work out within five days of five days of their, of their race. I think that's a, that's a good number. Uh, that seems to be enough to have them recovered and, and anything like that. Um, in terms of, you know, it's not like VO, like maybe like your last VO2 max session, 10 days before the race is the last like long-term gain you're going to probably get. The rest is just maintenance. It's a little different with, with uh, weight training because those things can actually, it's not the, it's not the aerobic system or the VO2 max system, which takes a really long time to train. It's, 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 it's your musculoskeletal system. So, um, it, you know, those, it can really work on those kind of fast switch muscle fibers pretty quickly. So I think five days is a good amount to recover. So and, what, and a lot of, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. A lot of people, and they reach out to me and say, well, and I tell them that and they say, well, I just can't train legs because my legs are dead. And it's like, well, the first few times you, you go in the gym and you squat and deadlift and, uh, you know, work on like a lot of hip mobility your legs are going to be dead and people have to realize that there's a difference between being sore and being injured. And when you're sore, you can very well train through it and you should. Um, and so that's the big difference. Know that the, maybe the first four times you train legs, if you haven't done it before, you're going to be pretty sore and you might compromise a little bit on the running, but the long-term benefits outweigh it. So. Definitely. So like within like those five days, what, what, like, what kind of maintenance do you, like, you recommend before the race? Uh, I mean, it depends on the, it depends on the race, but like, usually you're looking at like maybe a 45 minute run, a 30 minute run, a rest day, and then maybe a 25 to 35 minute jog with strides the day before the race. And then on the race day, you just kind of let it rip. That's a, that's the typical, um, you know, usually it's rest two days before the race, but not everybody does that. So that's, I, that's a way that's been really successful with, with myself and my athletes. Definitely. And it's also interesting, I, don't, I won't dive too much into this, but uh, 
there is a lot of research indicating that maybe athletes should taper a little bit different or coaches should taper athletes a little bit differently based on uh, their, their muscle fiber composition. Um, like if an athlete's predominantly like a fast switch muscle fiber, like explosive athlete, uh, they do a little bit better with a longer taper, um, you know, versus somebody who's kind of more of a slow twitch uh, dominant. Uh, they do better with a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a, a less taper. So it just, it really depends, but it's really hard to, to know your, your muscle fiber makeup if you haven't had it biopsied. So it's just a guess, but gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So, um, do you want to get into some uh, user questions? Yeah, we can get in. Well, Michael, um, yeah, go ahead. Did, did we want to talk a little bit about, uh, recovery too, because you know, the getting the miles in getting the weight training, but I think the third piece of this triangle is recovery. And I think in the way that we almost just glossed over it on the podcast, um, I think a lot of people don't take that factor into consideration during their training. And a lot of the research that I've seen um, says that the recovery piece might be the most important. Yeah, definitely is. I think uh, so. A lot of the bodybuilders I used to work with, um, they're like, you know, I just get out and kill it in the gym or whatever it is. Uh, but they're not focused on what they're doing the 23 hours a day that they're outside of the gym or, you know, the, the runners, the, the 22 and a half hours a day that they're not running. Those are vital. Um, and, and recovery is so important. I think what a lot of people don't realize is the act of exercise itself is really oxidative and stressful to the body. Um, it's actually not a good process for the body. So you're not inherently becoming healthier by exercising. You're inherently becoming healthier by recovering really well because it's, it's your body's immune response to that exercise that provides a positive stimulus for the immune system and for your overall health. So if you aren't doing everything you can to recover properly, you're, you're compromising your own recovery, you're compromising your performance, and you're really just beating your body down probably towards adrenal fatigue, to be honest. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And what are, what are some of your favorite, uh, like, I know I've read some interesting stuff where it talks about like the benefits of icing versus not icing, doing ice baths and how that affects long-term muscle growth. Um, where it says like when you're in the early stages of training where you need to bounce back every day, uh, you know, to, to be able to perform the next day to get a hard workout in, to get uh, a hard run in doing icing is okay. But, um, you know, once you've built up that base and you're really in the maintenance level, you shouldn't be, uh, stopping that, uh, inflammation process that your muscles naturally go through with ice or, uh, anti-inflammatory medication. Yeah. You no, know, I think you're, you're definitely onto something with that. And some of the research that you shared with me on that, when we were in New York, that was, that was really good stuff. It, and no, it's, it's, uh, I believe it's, it's certainly true. Again, we're talking about the body's ability, um, to have that immune response to inflammation. And so when you do things like uh, if you're taking ice baths too often or you're taking non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, which have a, a host of other negative effects on your body, uh, you're suppressing your body's ability to be uh, to respond to that stimulus and, and to recover from it naturally. So I think that process is a really beautiful thing. And when you add those other things in, if they're not absolutely necessary, then they're actually hindering your body's ability to recover properly and benefit fully from the exercise itself, if that makes sense. Yeah. And yeah. And I, I think like, you know, when I talk about my favorite recovery tools and the things that I do all the time, um, I'm in a very long-term and intimate relationship with my foam oh, roller. Same, uh, same. Yeah. I, um, you know, I think that, 
uh, is an incredible tool for recovery. Uh, the muscle fascia that's underneath uh, your skin, um, the way that the foam roller can really access that piece uh, of the of this of your system uh, and kind of push out all that air or, or push out all that lactic acid and kind of move that around uh, and keep those layers lubricated is really important. Um, you know, so I, I love my foam roller. I love my little wooden dowel that I do on the bottom of my feet. That's another really great recovery tool. Um, just having like a lacrosse ball or a tennis ball at the ready at all times. So, you know, I know, Mark, I don't know if you do it on flights, but like I throw that right behind my shoulder blades when I'm on a flight and I just like work that on my shoulder all flight long. It's like my own little massage session. No, I'm every single flight. I'm I'm white knuckling it. I'm I'm holding on for dear life. I'm not thinking about recovery. I'm like I'm I'm gonna die. So there's no point in recovering. You're focused on living, bro. Yeah, I'm focused on the pilot not doing that thing where we're about to land and they take off again. Like that freaks me. I I hate that. Pat was on a plane with me when we did that. (laughs) Hate that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm recovering on flights. I, I've got my foot roller and my massage ball. Uh, I'm like jittery and moving around the whole time. When that's, I'm that, on a that's, a, that's a two completely opposite of the spectrum. We got we got fucking Michael getting a massage and fucking Mark worrying about if he's going to crash or not. Yep. No, uh, yeah, for sure. I, I use a – it's ironic that I work in a job where I have to travel so much, but um, it's a lot of fun. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I use a foam roller – three times, basically I foam roll all the major muscle groups three times a day. Um, and then I think it's really good. But another thing, like when you pointed out, when you're talking about the, the fascia itself, a lot of people don't realize that your muscles don't necessarily make your body move in the way you think that they do. Like your muscles contract and pull on the fascia, which actually makes the skeletal, like the skeletal system move. Um, so that all that connective tissue is actually really important. So, where 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 muscles and fascia meet and that connective tissue like tendons and ligaments are that's actually how your body moves so to to move in the absence of dysfunction uh it's really good to use a foam roller and to work on myofascial release and a lot of people underestimate that they just think oh it feels good and helps me recover but like it actually helps you move properly um so that's that's really important. And yeah, so that's, that's huge for recovery. Foam rolling is, is huge. Hydration is, is huge, especially if you're somebody who consumes caffeine, you know, like I think the average American probably consumes over 300 milligrams of caffeine a day. Um, that's, it could provide you with a lot of, uh, benefit, but it also provides you with some dehydration. So you can't really recover properly if you're chronically, uh, dehydrated. So that's, that's another thing is focus on hydration. And then obviously the nutrients and the foods that you eat play into recovery as well. So eating something with a higher amount of antioxidants and anti-inflammatories tends to do better. So whether you eat meat or you're a vegan or not, if you're filling your plate with like green vegetables and just a variety of colors of vegetables, you're going to get the most bang for your buck. And that's going to be playing to recovery too. A big thing that, yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, I, I extracted a lot of really good information about recovery um, from a book. It, it's called Good to Go, uh, written by Christine Ashwaden, uh, and she kind of covers all of the traditional uh, recovery methods, the science behind them. Uh, you know, she does tests herself, and then a lot of like the new stuff that comes out that we're inundated with in our Instagram ads. Uh, you know, like, oh, go to one of those cryo freeze chamber places or, you know, buy one of those uh, heavy duty percussion massagers, you know, a really good book to just kind of 
weed out what's real versus what's fake yeah in recovery yeah yeah so that that would i mean yeah i would take a look at that um and then another thing i you know we're talking about recovery but but what what about what about prior to your run um you know i think that like for an elite athlete or you know i don't want to call myself an elite athlete but for myself um the run for me and i have the luxury of being able to do this but a, a run for me maybe starts 30 minutes before i actually get out the door and start running. So I'm able to foam roll uh, for that time and do dynamic stretches here and there. But really the big thing is the foam rolling Um, that will, you know, that will loosen you up and prepare you to make really good proper movements, especially if you're running first thing in the morning when you roll out of bed, Um, just spending a little time on the foam roller can go a long way in preparation for your run. Yeah, that was something Mark, you had me doing, uh, I forget the what the uh, the name of it was, but that like specific stretching routine. You had sent me a link to it on YouTube, and you said you should do this every time before you go out to oh, run. Myrtle. And it's just like you said, like Myrtle, the old yeah. Myrtle. Yeah, to run through that Myrtle stretching. Um, yeah, and and believe me, guys, the older that you get, uh, the more time you spend before a run to get ready for your run. Uh, just wait till you're an old man like me at 36. Uh, it takes you even longer to get out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Myrtle is a, Myrtle's a great one. It's a really good hip and glute, um, kind of hip girdle, uh, training. Uh, it's really quick, but it really goes a long way. So yeah, that's a good point that you bring up there. Pat, we can go ahead and get in the user questions if you'd like. Yeah, for sure. Um, the we never, we one... never fully get to them, so I would actually just spend some time on these. Yeah, we That'd got awesome. um, one, two, three, yeah. four. We got about five of them. So Okay. So this first one is kind of uh, relates to what we're talking about. Is, uh, what is the best strategy for adding weight training into your running program? And I can't seem to recover. Yeah, so we talked about that. Um, it, like, like I said, it can be really challenging. The biggest strategy I could say is, again, keep the easy days easy. Don't overload your neuromuscular system with – with heavy weight training. Uh, I mean, it plays a role in the central nervous system. So but that's going to automatically uh, d- be a recovery deterrent for sure. So what I would do is if, if your plan is to train, let's say you're on a push pull leg split. Okay. And your plan is to train three times a week. How I would do it is I would maybe do the, the pull workout or I do the push workout on, on Monday. And let's say you have speed sessions on Wednesday and Friday on, on, Wednesday, I would do the back session, uh, the pull session, assuming you're going to deadlift and do back extensions. Um, and then I would wait till Friday to your next speed session. And that's when you'd hit the legs with the, maybe the heavy deadlifts, the squats, the trap bar deadlifts, uh, box jumps, things like that. Um, because you're not compromising your recovery in between. The push day is really going to do nothing to, to, to damage your lower leg recovery or add recovery time. Uh, The back is going to be a little bit, so it should be on the first speed day because if you, if you had legs on the first speed day, then you're going to be in a hole all week trying to work your way out of it if you're not used to it. So I think that the, the reverse split of doing push pull legs with pull on the first workout and legs on the second speed workout would be the best way to go. Um, And then, you know, you got your long run, maybe the next day, which which is fine to have heavy legs on that long run. It's part of running the marathon. As Michael knows, it's part of running the 50 K 50 mile, hundred mile, uh, even the half marathon, you have to be able to function on heavy legs. So that's okay. And it's not necessarily an absence of a recovery. It's just that your legs are heavy. Gotcha. If that, if that makes sense. I mean, I think, I think that it was so training legs, you know, the day before I did a long run, I would always feel more sore after the long run. 
but during the long run, it didn't deter my performance or did, it didn't hamper my performance in any way. Uh, so I think that that's the best way to do it in, in terms of that split. And for me, it's, it depends on people's lifestyle factors, but for me, I think that's the best way to go. For sure. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, Mark, you kind of said it well, if, if you have plans on running longer distances, you need to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, I think that was something I learned throughout training with you. Uh, I think we had a moment where I said, man, Mark, it just doesn't feel like this is getting any easier. And you said, it's not supposed to feel easier. If, if this started to feel easy, that means that you're not training hard enough. So um, I, I, I think sometimes as a runner, as an athlete, you feel like at some point things are going to even out and get easier. But if you're always trying to get better uh, and push yourself, you're, you're never going to get to that level of comfort uh, and feel like everything is easy and everything's working all the time. The discomfort is something you got to learn. Yeah. To and I want to note that, that like it's, you're going to have to live and deal with that, of course. But when, when we're talking about easy or not easy, we're not talking about like the quality of your runs, like your easy run should be easy. Right. Uh, and, and you were running those easy runs easy enough. Um, what I'm probably, what we're more talking about is like the, you know, the progressive overload of the training itself. Like it, it, it got continuously harder and more complex and that's the way it should be. But, mm-hmm. but please nobody mistake this and, and, and think that um, all of his runs were, were hard or not easy um, because that couldn't be further from the truth. And that's a, that's a recipe for disaster. Good reframe. Well, it can be, it can be so easy to, to think that just more is better um, in our culture and in, in everything. It's been simply message into our, into our brain since before we could even register what it was. So, I mean, yeah, more is not always better, but there has to be stimulus. So you have to progressively increase that load more if you want a response to it, if you don't want to plateau or maintain it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And this one, this one's like one of my favorite questions because this is something I think about quite a bit. Um, this is like the post-workout. So this one is, is there really a 30-minute post-workout window? Ooh. Okay. This is uh, – I've read that that's not true. This is fun. <laughs> This is fun. So like, and Michael, you probably think I'm going to agree with you. Um, but, but I, <laughs> I've got a technicality. Um, while I think, so there, I don't know if it's a 30 minute window, but there's certainly a, a post-workout window where your body is much more sensitive to carbohydrate intake. Um, effectively carbohydrates work like taxis in some senses that deliver glycogen and nutrients to your muscles. Um, and it's more sensitive immediately following um, a workout. Now, the, the question is not if that happens or if it's there. The question is how much do you actually care about it? Um, and, and that's the case. I mean, if we're looking at protein synthesis, there are, there are, it's not even debatable. There are many studies that show it's not about how much protein you get following your, the one hour after you work out. It's, it's how much protein you get in a, in a total of 24 hours that really matters for protein synthesis. Mm-hmm. So protein is pretty much rendered ineffective following that workout. But uh, it is a good time to, to refill glycogen stores uh, immediately post-workout and improve recovery if that's something you want to do. And I'm not saying, like, don't, pe- like, 
get in a panic mode over it because you, you didn't get a banana within 27 minutes of working out. There went, it's probably not 30 minutes. It's likely somewhere closer to 90 minutes or more. Um, but what I would say is getting some good carbohydrates in there, maybe even like for the endurance athlete, a three to one ratio of carbs to protein following the workout can be a good thing. But I wouldn't obsess over it, and I think to the average person, it doesn't really make a difference. Like to the to the average uh, athlete, I or or even above average athlete, I think that they're they're not going to notice a huge difference from it. But it certainly exists. Gotcha. Yes, that's like the thing too. It's like, all right, well, I'm done with my workout now. I have to go shower and get ready and walk to work and everything. And I've, oh shit, did I miss my three minute window to drink my fucking protein shake? And it's like. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like why? It's like why do I even think about that? It's like it's so silly. Like I'm gonna get that that protein and that those carbohydrates in anyway. So yeah, and as, and as bro science would have it, they it would lead you to believe that like you you lost your gains, bro. It's completely ineffective. <laughs> now your workout has just been rendered useless because you didn't get you didn't get a 50 gram slam of protein and and, and 150 carbs, and that's not true at all. Um, your body, like we said earlier, is a really resilient machine. Um, and I, you're not going to not build muscle or, or improve your performance or not get the benefits of, of, of a 60 minute run because you didn't eat immediately following it. So I would say for the average person, don't stress about it. Yeah. and, And you're right. And in that, in that book that I mentioned before, it does break down the science that, that is not true. You know, that, that you have to have your protein 30 minutes after a workout in order for it to be effective. You know, science has proven that, that, that is not the case. Um, you know, I, I love that term. You said the, the, the bro science of the 30 minutes after your lift to, or your workout to go get protein. Um, maybe they just came up with that cause that was easy for bros to remember. Yeah. And it was <laughs> 30 minutes yeah, after. That's probably some of it. And some of it is that, uh, it's really easy to sell protein shakes when you, when you talk about how important it is to have it uh, immediately for nitrogen uptake and things like that. But um, in, in all likelihood, if you ate at all before the gym, you're, you're likely still uncoiling and breaking down proteins and, and assimilating those amino acids through your workout anyway. Uh, so, right. That's, I mean, this kind of segues into the next user question and uh, yeah. what supplements should you consume? Do you consider protein in a supplement? Um. Not, I mean, not exactly, because you can just like, uh, eat whole foods and get, get the you know, right amount of protein that you need. But do you consider protein powder yeah, itself? Yeah, protein's a way of life. Protein yeah. powder itself, yeah. A I mean, way of, W-H-E-Y, a way of life. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's my way of life. I mean, do you, consi- I mean, yeah, do you consider yeah. protein powder a supplement? Okay, then I would say one of the supplements that I would consider having in your pantry is protein powder, and it doesn't mean that you need to use it daily. Um, it's good for... Uh, it's good for certain times, just like protein bars. While some of them are just glorified candy bars, certain ones, they can be good on the road or that's what I do. when we were talking about how we're often traveling. Like for me on the plane, I have, I have cashews, uh, usually like a quest bar or a no cow vegan protein bar. Um, and that, and, and that's usually, you know, that will be my snack when I'm on the plane. Uh, something like that. And I think that's a good source of good fats and, and good protein. While it's not an ideal source of protein, it does enough. So I think protein's a really good one. Um, and then these two beta alanine, beta alanine, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's in a lot of like pre-workouts, but it's, it's just physically shown to improve endurance. Um, I mean, there's so much science around it, so that can help. Um, you know how much we're probably talking marginal. So it's, was it worth the money? It depends on, it depends on 
how much disposable income you have. So that, you know, protein is a probably, that could be a maybe. And then the other one is creatine. So creatine is the most studied yes. sports supplement of all time. It's been studied since the 80s. I mean, even in the 90s, they've pretty much given up and said there's no adverse effects of negative adverse effects of creatine. Um, and now there was just a study released, a pretty large study, uh, showing that creatine actually has uh, positive effects on depression um, and depression and other like issues with, with serotonin. So um, that's actually really positive. You know, like ALS patients who have Lou Gehrig's disease, um, their life expectancy is longer if they supplement with creatine use because it helps you maintain more lean body mass and muscle mass. So creatine is the cheapest supplement out there. If you're just getting monohydrate, you don't need to buy into any other gimmicks. Creatine monohydrate is probably the most effective, single most effective supplement outside of just taking exogenous hormones or steroids that you can get. Um, it's going to be really effective. It's not going to really have any adverse you know, effects. You don't need to load it like people used to think where you used to have to take 20 milligrams a day, the first fighters. You don't need to do any of that. Um, there have been stories where people say, well, this high school wrestler died because he was taking creatine. Um, when that actually you know, that's, first of all, wouldn't be considered science because it's anecdotal, but w what really happened is he died because he was trying to cut weight and he was like he covered himself in trash bags and sat in the sauna. Um, so he didn't actually die from anything mm -hmm. related to the creatine. Uh, so that's like a, that's an old like wives tale that you hear a lot. Um, so I think the, the go-to would be creatine with protein powder. And if you want to try it, maybe beta alanine, but I don't see any other use for any other supplements beyond that. I don't know. Michael, what do you think? Um, I mean, I do, I do protein powder. Um, I'm, uh, I, I do it every morning. Um, I do it after workouts. I take uh, casein protein uh, in the evenings before I go to sleep uh, as a recovery tool. Um, you know, I use creatine when I'm in a marathon training cycle. When I'm not in a training cycle, I don't use it. Um, that's just because, you know, I read somewhere that it's not good to be on creatine 365 days a year, but it sounds like maybe there's some more research that says it's, you know, safe to use all the time. Um, and then I'm also kind of a vitamin maniac. I mean, I take magnesium, uh, I take for recovery. I take, you know, an osteobioflex supplement for joint health, uh, D3, um, vitamin B for when I wake up in the morning, I feel like it just gives me a little extra energy when I head out on a run. Um, you know, that that's about the extent uh, of supplements that I that I use. Yeah, Michael, I'm glad that you I'm glad that you brought all those things up uh because I disagree with most of those most of those things that you just said. So this is a this is important for us to disagree. <laughs> what I agree with you on is that we yeah. get our protein from the same manufacturer. And while I'm saying that, every single person whenever you do take a supplement, it should be 100% third-party tested. Uh, to verify that what they say is in there is actually in there. There have been people testing positive for hormone precursors from taking certain uh, pre-workouts and things like that. And that can de if you're a if you're a professional athlete or tested by Usada or Wada, I mean that can that can derail your your whole career. But if you just care about your health, like you got what you want to know what you're putting into it. So that's a little sidebar. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I. Yeah, and and it, and something to look out for in protein. And I think that a lot of companies have gotten better about this, but. I mean, if you just go to like the supermarket or even Costco and you look at like a muscle milk branded protein powder and you look on the back and see how much sugar is in that thing. I mean, that's something you got to look out for that it, 
that your protein isn't just loaded with extra sugar that you do not need. Yeah, and you know, one thing that protein companies were doing and they're notorious for is they like nitrogen spike their protein. So they they fill it up with certain amino acids that are effectively useless and it looks like there's more total co- total protein content in there than there actually is and it's actually just junk. Um, so that's that's a some reputable companies got in trouble for that too, but that's something that it seems like they're getting away from. Um, I don't, I don't believe personally that a multivitamin, um, is effective for anything. I don't, I think that if you're eating a fairly well-rounded and you're, and you're not a vegan or a carnivore and you're eating a fairly well-rounded, uh, diet each day with, with different foods each day, I think that it's going to be hard for a multivitamin to fill any small gaps you may have just because the bioavailability of multivitamins, uh, changes drastically. Um, the B vitamins can be really good. And that's especially if you're, especially if you're a, a vegan or vegetarian, I think you can gain a lot from, uh, taking uh, vitamin B12, B6. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've actually also started taking uh, chlorophyll cause I've heard chlorophyll is good for, uh, your blood. If you have just moved into a situation where you're in altitude. So I've been taking that recently to see if that helps with, uh, me getting myself up to pace at altitude now. Oh man, chlorophyll, more like borophyll. That's what I say about that. Yeah. <laughs> but but I know you disagree with the vitamin stuff, and I, I everybody thinks I'm. Cra- I mean, I take my vitamins at the office because you know it's just easier for me to get out of the house quickly, and I have a whole cup full of stuff. And I don't know if it's doing anything good, but in my brain, it seems like it's That's, working. So I'll take yeah, the placebo effect. Hey, there's a lot of effects. There's a lot of positive effects of the placebo effect. So just run with it if it works. And 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 while I may disagree with some of those things that you said, uh, I'm by no like I'm by no means right about everything. I'm not I'm not a dietitian. I'm not a I'm not a scientist beyond what I do here. I'm a, I like to consider myself a movement scientist. I you know, but beyond that, I don't I don't you know I I'm wrong about things too. So so who knows? And my way isn't the only way to the mountaintop. You know. Yeah, we'll we'll see like forty years from now how how each of us look, we'll, and then I'll attribute it all to vitamins. Dude, forty <laughs> years from now I'm gonna be be jacked, dude. <laughs> jacked, grandpa. Um, all right, Pat. What's uh, are there others? Uh, let's do. We got one more. Okay. Um, we kind of covered that. We kind of covered this. How many days per week should you weight train? Depends on what your goal is, right? Yeah. I mean, if you want to be a if you want to be a professional bodybuilder, then you should probably consider weight training six days a week. Um, but if you if you want to, but I say that in jest because I know we're talking about kind of runners here. So if uh, or endurance athletes in general, and I think two to two to three is the magic number. Uh, two as you get in season, three as you're building your base. And I usually think a push pull legs while you're building your base is really good because you're. You, you may even build a little bit of muscle mass, um, and that's something that you can maintain going into your season. Uh, typically increases uh, – that's always associated with a bad thing, having more muscle um, because you have more weight, right? So it's harder to run yeah. if you have to carry more weight over more distance. And that makes sense, but having lean body mass is so uh, positive uh, for your body. I mean, people with higher lean body mass typically have more effective uh, metabolic process or a better – metabolism in their body so you know like when i have when i have more lean muscle mass while i might weigh one or two pounds more my body composition is always way better um i seem to be more regular on uh, bathroom breaks and i just burn calories more efficiently 
So I think that it's really important, but I think, so I think, you know, when you're building your base mileage up and intensity isn't quite as high, I think three times is good. Um, and then when you're, when you're doing it, you know, during, during the racing season, I think going to two times, uh, is ideal for endurance athletes. And, and like we say, you shouldn't be in the gym, uh, pounding those really high reps. Like if you think like it makes logical sense that running is like a really high repetition, slow twitch muscle fiber thing. So if you go do it in the gym, it will be twice as effective. Um, but if you're going to do that, you might as well just run more. So what you, what you Mm -hmm. should do is be, be looking your gym should your gym session should be the opposite of what you do on the regular um so if you're if you're out running every day your gym session should be geared towards trying to to build foster and maintain explosiveness and any kind of fast twitch movements which are really effective for running um and it's something you can't always simulate unless you're doing speed work every day or doing hills which you can't do because you can't recover from so sure. you you shouldn't just go do the same thing in the gym because that's just time wasted you may as well be out running more if you're going to go out and and do really high reps of something you may as well just be out running because that's effectively what it is definitely definitely agree with that so does that make i think that makes sense yeah i i would agree with that i think that makes a lot of sense but I, mean, Michael, I, I know, if, I know, like uh, here in, in in the cold ass D, cold ass Detroit, um, we spend a lot of times uh, inside in the winter time. So um, I know, like, I'll kind of like get on the treadmill for like an hour or thirty minutes, whatever, and then do and then weight train. So I'll like probably weight train like four to five times a week. You know, just kind of depending on how I'm feeling that day. Yeah. And, and I, and I weigh train sometimes five times a week. I've been doing it in this space because I actually really love doing it, as I've said. So what I do is a push, pull legs, push, pull, uh, because one, I don't think if you've ever seen my legs, I don't think I need to do much more leg training, but also like my legs take a big pounding from all the running that I do and all the hill work that I do anyway. Um, and so like, I try to, I try, I start every weight session with explosive movements and athletic movements, um, and then, you know, I work into like uh, hypertrophy specific, like almost, I wouldn't want to say bodybuilding stuff, but more stuff geared towards in- increasing muscle volume after I've already done the really important stuff. And then the final thing would be like maybe a hit cardio. Um, if it's on my, if it's on my uh, hard workout days, maybe where I'm flipping a tire or doing things like that. For sure. Yeah, I, I think for me, it, it's, you know, I've recently moved, uh, so I haven't had much lifting regularity. Um, but, you know, when I'm in training, I got to get out there and lift two, three times a week. Um, but when I was deep into that last marathon cycle, just because of my injury, I focused so much more on recovery and sleep. So if I had, if I had free time where normally I would say, oh, I'll go to the gym and lift uh, and, and put in some time strength training, Instead, I was just saying, you know what, I'm going to go to sleep earlier instead, or I'm going to, you know, get in my elevated legs or foam roll or stretch. Yeah, instead and, of, and of personally, training, I so. think that's like better than actually going to the gym and working out. Like getting your your sleep schedule and your recovery down. I think that's like more. That's the most important thing. Yeah, I think that's a yeah. that's a smart move at, at that point. Um, I think if you're if you're ever looking at basically compromising your recovery to add an extra gym session in when your primary focus is running, I think you're better off skipping that gym session. Um, maybe doing some foam rolling, uh, get at home and, and, and yeah. recover. Definitely. Yeah. You got, you got to, 
Yeah, I think it's one of the hardest things. It's one of the hardest things for runners because if you're a runner, you're naturally just a busybody. You know, we're just people who like to move and be always active and doing stuff. So, you know, sometimes forcing yourself to do that extra just recovery or sleep um, can can sometimes be harder. It's like we're always looking for more stuff to do uh, as runners. Like, oh, can I lift? Can I do this? Can I do that? It's like, no, just go to sleep, man. That'll be the best thing for you. Yeah, and it can be it can be hard to admit that sometimes, but. You know, now that we're talking about all this weight training, it's, it's actually something that's really important. I forgot. My work reimburses me um, for like $500 worth of fitness equipment every year. And today is my deadline at midnight to um, to uh, submit that. So I need to go buy some fitness equipment. Um, so I would have forgot about that. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, gonna definitely get a TRX, TRX. Oh, I don't yeah. know what else. There you yeah, go. But, I mean, I think uh, that's pretty much all we have uh, today. Yep, this, that's it. Episode twenty-five, uh, strength for runners. If you have any, uh, if you have any questions or anything, you can let us know. You can find me at Bottenhorn Running on Instagram, and you can also find me at www.markbottenhorn.com. Yeah, and you can find me on Instagram at patxgates. And you could find me at Son of Raging oh, Joe which, uh, on Instagram. AKA the Wizard. The Wizard. <laughs> <Hello. laughs> <laughs> I want to wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving and uh, enjoy your holidays with the fam. Hey, I've got one more special shout out, though. Yep. This is very important. Adam, after completing, well, you know, we had him on the show, Adam Ribeiro, uh, mm-hmm. at Adam oh, yeah, on Instagram. Yeah. After, after completing uh, World's Toughest Mutter, he. Uh, got to propose to his uh, wonderful new fiance Taylor and she said yes for some reason and so now they are engaged Ooh. so I just want to give them a big congrats and it was like probably one of the coolest proposals I've ever seen uh, Tough Mutter shared it on their Facebook pa- or their Instagram page that was really sweet Hell so yeah. congrats Adam oh yeah big congrats yeah congrats Adam that's great that's great and happy Thanksgiving to everybody out there alright until next time stay strong everyone Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Finding Strong Podcast. We truly appreciate all of your comments, your shares, and your ratings. But more than anything, we appreciate you taking the time to listen to today's episode. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all the other major podcast apps. And if you haven't already, feel free to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Let us know what you want to hear next. So many great requests already. Until next time, stay strong. Holla, holla, sit down, Lil. Holla, Lil. Be humble. Holla, sit down. Holla, holla.